Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you had a good weekend. This looks like it's going to be a busy week. A lot of big stories to talk about, and we'll cover them today. We'll talk about a lot of them with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley, who will be joining us on the program. I'm sure he'll have some uh, strong opinions on several of these topics. We look forward to hearing from him. We'll talk weather with John Baranek with DTN. We're going to get an update uh, on the battle against soybean cyst nematode. We'll talk with a nematologist from the University of Georgia. All that coming up. But first, let's get to another busy day, another busy week of the news. Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications, join us, joins us. Sarah, good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Mike. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Okay, so is if there was one, I guess, uh, but let's say there was, uh, uh, is the honeymoon period over between agriculture and the Biden administration? I mean, now we've got uh, proposed rule changes for waters of the U.S., uh, proposed changes to the Packers and Stockyards Act, talk about finding some kind of relief for the oil industry from the RFS. I mean, uh, all of a sudden here, there are a lot of uh, really sticky points here, some big issues that agriculture is going to take uh, offense at and 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 probably push back pretty hard on some of these things when you add that already to concerns over proposed tax changes and several other things. Well, Mike, certainly there are a lot of issues to be concerned about, and I think that's why it behooves everybody to be up to speed on these issues, watching every day what's happening and trying to make sure that their voices are being heard with their congressional delegations. Because, as you know, there are still a handful of members from rural districts who are Democrats who aren't going to go along with this. I think a, a really keen example is what we saw from Representative Cindy Axney, a Democrat from Iowa, who actually called out the Biden administration or after she heard that he might reconsider providing relief to oil companies, oil refiners, on this renewable fuel standard blending requirement. So she's saying she's going to set up a call with the EPA and hopefully talk to the White House. And so it, it's really critical that members like this stand up and, and represent rural and make sure that the voices of farmers and ranchers across the country are heard. The waters of the U.S., uh, We, I think a lot of people expected that there would be proposed changes. I think many were hoping there wouldn't be, and there had been some optimistic uh, uh, messaging from EPA Administrator Regan that maybe they wouldn't. Uh, and we still don't know exactly what they want to do, but they they had some critical words for this new rule that agriculture supports that we have now. So it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. I think the biggest concern right now is the uncertainty. You know, it's not a heard of that any new administration comes in and wants to rewrite the rules. You've seen this over and over again, but the problem is is that 
the waters of the U.S. rule has been changed not only by previous administrations, but also by the courts. It's been challenged. And so every year farmers go out into the field and think, well, how do I really know that I am in compliance or that I'm going to be fined or, you know, threatened by a lawsuit? So this is continuing uncertainty by the ongoing change in the rule, I think, is the most frustrating to folks. You're correct that Michael Regan, the new EPA administrator, has said some pretty positive things. So it's not clear that it's going to be changed all the way back. I think it's pretty unlikely it'll be changed all the way back to what it was. But I do believe that, you know, we're going to have to keep a watchful eye on this just to make sure that it doesn't go so far back that it still becomes unworkable. Meanwhile, the administration now also uh, dealing with a court ruling on their debt relief uh, plan for farmers of color um, as that's been put on hold now and the ag department has until later this week to respond to that Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where that goes because that has been a very controversial program uh, since it was announced so we'll see what happens with this court ruling and how the administration responds I have to say that's one of those hot issues out in farm country. You're probably hearing a lot about it. It's our number one story on agripulse.com right now. Um, We do have a court that said it's uh, being challenged and we need to stop payments from USDA. But USDA has said, well, we're still going to keep accepting debt relief applications because we don't agree with the court's order. So we're going to continue to watch this and see whether or not the temporary restraining order will be lifted or how USDA is going to defend this given that, you know, it's just a certain group of minorities that are eligible for this payment. So it's a, you know, kind of stay tuned sort of status right now on this one. And we hope to hear more from USDA about how they're going to make changes. They have three proposed rules Uh, concerning the Packers and Stockyards Act, and there has been some concern raised about this too. Juliana Potts with the uh, uh, North American Meat Institute uh, says it will continue to oppose unnecessary and burdensome government intervention in livestock markets. Uh, Wow, there's a lot of controversy swirling around the markets right now. It really is, and again, just more uncertainty during a time where people are worried about so many other things. I think it was interesting to note that other than um, Juliana, a lot of agricultural groups did not make a formal comment on the announcement that they're going to propose a rule. So they didn't say what they're going to do. They just said that we're going to propose these rules in these new areas. However, if you saw that Rob LaRue from the National Farmers Union did say that it was time for the agency to step up and do more to protect producers. So I I think this is one of those things where it's been such a controversial, really, ping-pong ball going back and forth between various administrations that it's pretty clear this USDA wants to do more on the side of of the producers and maybe less on the side of the packers. I'm not saying they're the first to do it. Others have, obviously. But this administration seems to just keep putting things out there without a lot of details, almost to see what kind of reaction uh, they're going to get. And you kind of get a feeling, though, of what direction they may want to go. And then, then you see ag groups either strongly reacting or, or, as you said, not always coming right out, maybe 
kind of staying behind the scenes a little bit to kind of get more information. It's an interesting back and forth time here. It really is. And, you know, there's so many ag groups need this USDA to be on their side for so many other things. So I think they're a little bit reluctant to lead with their chins and, and be totally condemning of some of these things because there's other things moving through, like this regulatory agenda on biotech animals and how they're going to be regulated. There's a lot of folks that really want USDA to be in the driver's seat there rather than FDA. So there, are, you know, there's going to be a lot of give and take as you try to uh, encourage the positive movements on regulations and discourage some of those that are going to be more harmful and kind of complicated and added costs to the process. It does get complicated. All right, Sarah, as always, good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a great week. You too. Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. We'll talk about some of those issues a little bit later with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. Up next, a complete look at the weather forecast. That's with John Baranek, DTM meteorologist, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best doctors. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, it is one thing to read about and hear about what's going on on our southern border. It's another thing to actually experience it. President of the Texas Farm Bureau, Russell Baining, joins us again. Uh, give us an update on the situation, what you are hearing from folks along that border. It's still a crisis. We have many Farm Bureau members and other ag producers along the border, and they're still dealing with the influx of folks coming over here illegally. It's been talked about some already. You're looking at damage to crops and damage to other property, whether it be fences and things like that. So those are the things we're dealing with. Safety's become a very big concern as well because, uh, quite frankly, a lot of these folks are criminals. And the coyotes, the, the human smugglers, are using the fact that there's a surge to really make it easier for them to do their dirty work, whether it's human trafficking or whether it's drug trafficking or things of that nature. So, you know, you're not just dealing with folks that are coming over here looking for asylum. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. 
At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, the calendar says we're a week away from uh, summer, but uh, the weather has felt definitely summer-like in many parts of the country the last several days. Let's talk about it with John Baranek, DTM meteorologist. John, thanks for joining us. Certainly has had a summer-like feel here in early June. Oh, you're not kidding. I live up here in uh, in Minnesota, just southwest of Minneapolis, and I think we've hit our average number of 90-degree days for the summer already. And like you said, we haven't even hit summer yet. Well, let's uh, let's talk about this week ahead because already we're looking closely at uh, who gets rain and who doesn't. I mean, we know about the really dry areas coming in, but a lot of other areas are starting to get to where they could use some rain too. Yeah, uh, we've, you know, we saw last week drought really expand across uh, much of the Corn Belt, uh, the northern and western Corn Belt. Saw a bunch of that uh, happen last week on the on the latest drought monitor, uh, and we were really kind of hoping for some rainfall to move into Minnesota and Iowa with some dying thunderstorms last week, but they died out too quickly for the most part, and uh, we really didn't see much of anything move through those two states. Those two states, uh, but the, really the ones hardest hit on the drought monitor last week, and it looks like that's going to continue this week as well. All right, so this week ahead, what do you see both with precipitation chances and temperatures? Yeah, so starting off with temperatures, I think that's the most certain here as we're going to finally kind of break our hot streak. Um, We're still continuing to be rather hot the next few days, but we will be getting a front moving south from Canada here later this week and into the weekend. And um, especially across the, the, the western corn belts here where we've been, you know, seeing temperatures hitting triple digits fairly frequently in the first couple of weeks of June, uh, we'll see those more closer to or even several degrees below normal here, uh, especially as we get into this weekend and into the next week. Uh, temperatures this week across the eastern corn belt will be a lot more tolerable. Uh, the front that goes, it's going through now uh, will be, you know, setting up some fairly normal to slightly below normal temperatures. Um, but as, as we go forward here, that front looks like it'll probably stall kind of, um, you can say, kind of along the Ohio River and back west through either Kansas or Nebraska. And the points north of that will stay, stay, stay cooler. Um, showers will be a little bit more harder to come by, at least for the next few days. Even with that front moving through, it's just isolated showers that are going to move through uh, the western corn belt and even most of the eastern corn belt, too, as that front stays through. But uh, what we're going to be interested in is kind of where what happens from there. So uh, models are a little bit all over the place. They have weather systems kind of in spots, and next model run it will be in a different spot. And so uh, I think what we're seeing, especially in the markets this morning, is it's kind of an overreaction to kind of widespread rainfall, but it 
probably won't be as widespread as, as some of the models are predicting. Um, what is going to complicate the fact that the matter, though, will be a, a tropical system that's developing in the western Gulf of Mexico uh, later this week. It's forecast to move kind of closer to the Louisiana coastline here late this week and into the weekend, and it'll be pumping in a whole bunch of moisture uh, northward. And as it does so, it's going to run into that front, wherever that tends to be, and that's where they're going to get probably a, a good dousing of, of moisture. So it's kind of unknown about where that exactly might be. I mean, it's kind of coming, but it's hard to pinpoint. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly it. We, we just don't know exactly where that front's going to sag. Uh, we don't know about a piece of energy that's going to come out of, of the Rocky Mountains late this week and weekend. We don't know exactly where that tropical storm is going to be at what point. So there's a lot of moving pieces uh, going on with that, that it's going to spell some good news for some folks and some bad news for others. Well, we're talking with John Baranek, DTM meteorologist. All right, John, let's look at some of the areas. Uh, we've got some wheat harvests uh, through Texas, Oklahoma, up into Kansas uh, getting going. Uh, what kind of weather is that area going to look at, look at this week? Yeah, for the most part, they stay out of all the rainfall and the temperatures will be above normal. So Pretty good conditions here for harvest, at least for the next several days. Let's see where that front sags to later this week. If it gets into Kansas, it could be we could be having some disruptions there. Um, but further south, anything that, that really occurs will probably be just little isolated showers here and there, something that most folks can dodge around. The Dakotas that have been so dry, they've had some rain recently, but of course not enough to make up for the shortages. Uh, what's ahead for that area? Yeah, not enough to make up for the shortages. Yeah, you're right. Uh, North Dakota did see pretty good rainfall, though, last week. Uh, most areas saw at least a half inch of rain, and there were several pockets. Uh, most, of the, most of the state actually saw more than, a half, uh, than an inch of rain. We did see some pockets uh, that were much more than that, too. They were isolated around the state. But um, for the next several days, uh, we're not seeing a whole lot in terms of shower activity for the spring wheat areas. Um, there could be some here and there, but as after that front gets through, we're going to be fairly dry. Again, we'll have to watch what that system does moving out of the Rockies late this week and weekend, see if we might be able to get some showers through there. But um, it doesn't look overly impressive um, going forward. The temperatures, at least, will be down, so we're not going to deal with a whole lot of heat stress. But the showers, which is, I don't think, will be there. Then right in the heart, the, the I states, what do you see there? Yeah, so if we kind of project forward here, again, isolated showers as that kind of front moves through uh, later this week, and then it's going to be real set up on where are we going to get that front to set up. Uh, looks like, again, probably most likely down towards the Ohio River, and that's where we see the best chances for showers, especially this weekend. Um, but further north, we could see that just depending on where that system moves through. Uh, again, it could be scattered and, and isolated. I know that western Illinois and most of Iowa saw almost no precipitation last week, and so they're really, really looking forward to something coming out. But it doesn't look like we're going to hit anything until kind of late this week or weekend, and then it's just a toss-up. What does your longer-range forecast for summer look like? Is that uh, Have those models changed any? Not really. We, we've seen, since last week, we've seen a little bit more mixed um, conditions going on for the end of this month and the beginning of July. Uh, models are a little bit unsure of where to put specific pieces 
and it's kind of getting into their range where they can kind of pick up on that now. Um, but uh, as we go through the rest of July and through August, models and, and our forecasts are still indicating above normal temperatures across the Corn Belt and drier than normal as well. So, you know, soybeans have been a little bit able to, to handle the, the dryness so far, but if we keep continuing that into July and August, we're not going to be uh, doing so well. So hopefully, hopefully those are a little bit wrong and we can get some timely rains in there. Yeah, when you start off so hot and dry in many places, it's hard to be optimistic that all of a sudden the weather's going to get a lot better when you get into July and August. Right. Yeah, you're you're not kidding. Spring is usually our our point in in time where we recharge, we set up the season for something good, and then just count on some some good rainfalls here and there that occur through the summer. But yeah, when you start off behind the eight ball, you're not you're not very optimistic about what the the future holds for you. And yet there are some areas, and we always see the extremes across the country. I mean, you have the very dry areas, but other areas have actually dealt with too much rain in some places. Yep. If you looked um, just off to the south, the, the Delta region, southeast Arkansas and northern Mississippi and northern Alabama, um, you know, the rainfall that we were kind of hoping for would be a little bit more widespread last week in the eastern Midwest kind of ended up right there. And they had a whole bunch of flooding concerns. A lot of places saw over 10 inches of rainfall. And it's not something that, you know, that's good soybean in cotton areas. And, and it's not something you really want to have going on where you're washing fields out um, at this point in the season. There's still time for that to recover. But, um, uh, yeah, it's not a good spot to be in right now. As we've often said, wish we could just kind of spread out that precipitation. Meanwhile, what's happening down in South America? So South America, we were kind of hoping for a front to come from south, uh, southern uh, states here into the into the north, uh, central areas and produce a little bit of rainfall for the safrina corn. Um, it did, but amounts were like a quarter of an inch or less. So very unhelpful rains. Uh, it's still hanging on for the next couple of days out there for some isolated showers, but again, nothing that will be overly helpful as the safrina corn really gets uh, closer to maturity there. So uh, really staying dry. There will probably be another system over southern Brazil late this week and weekend, but again, it's not going to get into those higher production areas to the north. All right, John, thanks a lot. So we'll keep our eyes to the skies and see uh, what might develop this week and see where those uh, those uh, opportunities for moisture uh, occur with those that moisture from the south you talked about starts hitting the front coming down, and we'll see what happens. Uh, hopefully we'll get some uh, beneficial rains in key areas. Thanks for being with us, John. Appreciate the update. DTM meteorologist John Baranek. All right, we have a lot of issues to talk about with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. We'll get a Washington update next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise. We'll explore how co-op ownership 
means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. We are seeing sharply lower futures on the Board of Trade this morning. The lower futures are on a variety of demand reasons, including China cutting their estimated corn use by 3 million metric tons due to more substitution of wheat and rice, Mexico stalling import permits for U.S. GMO corn, and according to The Wire, President Biden is being pressured by several Democratic congressmen to implement Trump-like refinery hardship waivers for ethanol use. On the Board of Trade July, corn trading 21 and three quarters lower at 663 the September contract down 27 and three quarters at 602 for soybeans the July contract down 45 and a fraction at 1463 and three quarters the August contract down 47 at 1435 and a half cent for wheat Chicago wheat July down 11 and a fraction at 669 and a half cent Kansas City wheat July down 15 at 623 Minneapolis spring wheat July down 19 and a fraction at 745 and a half cent September down 17 and three quarters at 753 and a half cent the cattle complex showed strong gains Friday as traders took advantage of lower grain prices to buy the market this is expected to continue into this week's trade hogs may have a slow watchful start for the week as traders wait for direction of cash and confirmation of a trend line June live cattle up 30 cents at 119 even the August contract up 80 at 120.82 for feeders August up 210 at 153.27 September up a dollar 97 at 155.50 lean hogs the July contract trading 90 cents lower at 119.07 the August contract a dollar 55 lower at 115.37. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 148 points, the Nasdaq composite up 24, the S&P 500 down 9, the U.S. dollar index is trending lower. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rawl. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
And we're happy to have with us now Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. We have lots to talk about. Senator, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time. I'm glad to be with you, of course. Thank you. All right. We have a lot to get into. First of all, your reaction to uh, the administration's plans. We don't know exactly how they're going to do it, but their plans to make changes to the waters of the U.S. rule. What are your thoughts on that? Well, right now, my first act is going to be this week giving a speech on the floor of the United States Senate with a map that cropped up in 2014 or 15 that shows Iowa with 97% of our land space covered on that map. In other words, it's going to be subject, all of that land is going to be subject to control by the federal government if the federal bureaucrats want to do it. I'm going to try to make as big a case as I can that uh, you could even have to have a permit to do normal farming operations. Now, the people that were authors of the waters of the U.S. laugh when I say that, but I've dealt with, uh, I haven't personally had these problems, but I've dealt with farmers that have had these problems when just fixing a tile uh, that that's plugged up, having a major problem with the NRFC or with, uh, let's see, uh, with the Corps of Engineers or maybe Fish and uh, Wildlife, things like that. Uh, you're, you're, you're just constantly battling the bureaucrats. And if you really want to do something major, like digging a ditch or filling in a ditch or maybe just uh, maintaining a ditch, uh, you, you eventually have to spend a lot of money on engineering costs. And uh, the average family farmer can't put up with it. It's just a terrible thing. So I'm going to try to make the same cases that I made against uh, the, uh, the deal in 2015-16. Then we were fortunate enough to have come along and change it and get back to what uh, federally uh, mandated waters are. The Navigable River is the official term uh, that that, that, uh, federal jurisdiction ends where the river's not navigable and state jurisdiction takes over and you don't have to put up with the federal bureaucracy that's 1,200 miles away from Iowa Farm. Yeah, so I think there's a battle ahead, certainly, over waters of the U.S. Now we're also hearing the administration looking at ways to grant relief to the oil industry from the RFS. Now, I'm sure you have some strong thoughts on that as well. Well, since I have two friends that are Democrats that seem to be leading that that effort with the White House because they're from Delaware, and Delaware refineries and Pennsylvania refineries are leading the charge for big oil, uh, I'm going to talk to them and say, you know, you're great big environmentalists. I consider myself an environmentalist, but I try to be reasonable about it. You say you're an environmentalist. How come you're trying to hurt ethanol? And, uh, of course, they're going to get defensive about that, but that's the way I'm going to approach that. Uh, I'm kind of a little surprised because when I talked to Regan, the new EPA director, before his confirmation, and I voted for his confirmation, and he was approved unanimously in the United States Senate, that I felt that there wasn't any problems for ethanol. This is our first uh, uh, battle on this issue with the new administration, 
And quite frankly, I'm surprised because they're so environmentally prone and and ethanol and biodiesel are very both very environmentally positive that I don't think we should be uh, messing uh, messing with it. And uh, I don't think that they'll do anything, though, until the Supreme Court rules. And I expect that decision to be out in the next three weeks. And hopefully they sustain the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, which brings more certainty to this waiver issue for small refineries uh, than anything we got out of either the Obama administration or out of the Trump administration. Yeah, we look forward to that uh, ruling, and hopefully that brings some, uh, some clarity to this issue and some finality maybe on it as well. We're talking with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. Tell us about uh, your bill that you are uh, co-sponsoring when it comes to uh, addressing uh, concerns in um, the meat processing industry, the cattle markets in particular. It's such a, a, a hot debate over that right now. Tell us about uh, how you want to approach this. Yeah. I want to approach it so instead of about 15, 10 or 15 percent of the daily kill being a negotiated market, so farmers that are independent producers and want to negotiate daily rather than pre-contract, uh, that uh, that they will have 50 percent of that instead of 15 percent uh, to be able to negotiate. Because today, uh, you can't, uh, if you get a price today, uh, you may not be able to deliver your cattle for three or four weeks. That's what Iowa cattle market tells me. And as a result, uh, you know, you're feeding $7 corn uh, to them during that period of time. So my bill would go from 15% uh, to 50%. Now, I may have to compromise with Senator Fisher, but she sees the problem the same way I do. Uh, uh, the, the best up-to-date information is we're going to have a hearing in, on the issue before agriculture sometime before August the 5th, and we're going to have a hearing before the Judiciary Committee uh, maybe in July, but if not July, in September. All right. Trying to get to as many issues as we can here. What's the latest on infrastructure? Uh, Still trying to work a bipartisan agreement with the president already rejecting a Republican offer, and that offer had been uh, improved uh, over a period of three weeks, at least three times. Biden still rejected it. Now he's looking at something a bipartisan group of Republican senators and Democrat senators can put together, but he's rejected one of the offers of uh, paying for it, uh, and uh, so I, I guess I don't have much more to report. There's still negotiation going on. And then there's still the possibility that if, uh, if we don't get a bipartisan agreement, that, uh, that uh, uh, Schumer will decide to go ahead on strictly a partisan basis, but he's got to get something that all 50 Democrats will support. So uh, there are so many key issues here all at the same time. Meanwhile, there's a court ruling that has, uh, for the time being, stopped USDA's Minority Farmer Debt Relief uh, Plan. Uh, What are your thoughts? This is a very controversial issue, and uh, what the administration was doing that's been halted now. What are your thoughts on this plan, and what are you hearing about it? Well, 
it went through as part of the one and nine tenths trillion dollar stimulus bill that passed on a party line vote in early March. And we spoke against it, that it's a violation of the Constitution because it violates the equal protection of the law clause of the uh, uh, of the uh, 14th Amendment. And uh, I'm not surprised that it's overruled. In fact, I think the people that promoted it ought to be embarrassed. They don't seem to be embarrassed. Now, I've, uh, I've tried to help uh, over a period of the last 20 years. There was, quite frankly, a lot of, a lot of uh, discrimination against black farmers. It was called the Pigford case, and they won in the court. And I worked hard to get the money so they would get the relief. So I'm not against helping uh, black farmers as a class, when, but the court said that they were being cheated. This is a political decision in the Congress of the United States, not a judicial decision, uh, that, uh, that just says that certain groups of farmers ought to have priority over every other group. And it's uh, just completely contrary to our equal protection of the law clause. And finally, what do you see getting through Congress? Do you see any big legislation getting passed here this summer? I think infrastructure's got a good chance of getting passed. I believe that we only have one more, well, two weeks, including this week, before the 4th of July break. Then we come back for a month. And then on August the 5th, we break for Labor Day, until Labor Day, for our usual summer break. So maybe infrastructure is the only thing that can get done before the summer break. Of Whatever form that, yeah. Now, now there will be, be other bills passed, but you're talking about big issues, I assume. Right. Major, major legislation. So you think some form of infrastructure package will get passed this summer. Yeah. We'll wait to see what form that takes and know at what number and uh, what it all entails. You know, I should say that I hope it gets passed because we've been talking about it and it can yeah. be very bipartisan. Let me explain to your listeners, bipartisan, because we all understand that seaports, locks and dams, uh, bridges, highways, airports, our infrastructure. But what the president doesn't realize is that $400 billion more in his bill for Medicare, Medicaid expansion, is not infrastructure. Yep, and that's where the, that's where the divide comes for sure. Senator, as always, thank you for your time. We'll talk again soon. Goodbye. Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. Yeah, that's a uh, there's support for bipartisan support for infrastructure, but where that support breaks down is what do you define as infrastructure? Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. 
Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Learn more about soil health principles that can turn your soil into a star performer. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Jen Sorensen, president of the National Pork Producers Council. Well, let's talk about the line speed issue. Capacity has been a huge issue facing the industry anyway. Of course, on the other side, there are people talking about, well, what about safety and health concerns for workers and packing plants? So how do you address that and still keep line speeds up? Nobody is more cognizant of safety in our farms and on the plants than producers. This is not a worker safety issue. There is no data that suggests that these plants operating under the faster line speeds had increased worker safety issues. In fact, the, the data suggests that quite the opposite. So, you know, this is a nonpartisan issue. We need to get this fixed. We need a solution here and we need to keep our capacity. And ultimately, we need to all come to the table with USDA, with our labor unions and others to find, to find a solution that works for all of us. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, 
called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, the battle with soybean cyst nematode continues. And a lot of advancements have been made, improvements have been made, but a lot of uh, bushels and a lot of dollars are still being lost to SCN. Let's get an update from Melissa Mitchum, University of Georgia nematologist. Melissa, thank you for joining us. What's the latest developments in the fight against soybean cyst nematode? Oh, good morning. How are you? Um, I would say... Uh, Really, it's a focus on trying to come up with some novel genetics and combining novel types of resistance genes that confer new modes of resistance to the nematodes and then coupling that with prescriptive management for soybean cyst nematode for our growers. And that's going to require our ability to really offer um, new modes of action to the grower and then uh, be able to test their their field populations and, and match those up so that we have an effective combination, and farmers can start to rotate these different um, modes of action in their fields. So while we've developed some new tools, we need more tools in the toolbox, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, right now, our, our one of our major tools is to deploy genetic resistance, and that comes in, in one type, and that's the PI88788 type of resistance. And uh, we really need some other options for our, our growers and to be able to rotate that uh, as the nematodes are becoming resistant to that resistance, and it's losing its effectiveness over time now. It's important all the time, but especially what, right now, if we look at these uh, soybean prices and we think how much money is being lost to soybean cyst nematode. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's kind of heartbreaking um, as a nematologist to, to know that uh, we could do better. And so I think um, the focus has to be on trying to, to get new tools out to our growers to give them options. Um, you think you're planting a resistant soybean and you've solved the problem, but we've actually made the problem worse over the last couple of decades by planting the same type of resistance. Um, we need to, to get new tools out to our growers so that they can rotate. Um, you know, and genetic resistance is just one tool in the toolbox. Um, there are other tools uh, that uh, farmers should be deploying. And hopefully, um, as these new tools come to market and our new technologies are being um, exploited, um, we'll be able to offer that to growers. You know, right now, um, the focus is really trying to integrate, to couple some of these uh, new genetics with some novel technologies. If we can do that, then the future is bright for our growers. Um, But we really need to to focus on the research and try to come up with some uh, novel, novel strategies to intervene try to inhibit that nematode from being able to develop and reproduce on these resistant varieties. And I think, um, you know, the, the Chekhov-funded research has really opened the door for this, 
especially with the sequencing of the soybean cyst nematode genome. That's the genetic blueprint of the nematode that is now going to allow us to pinpoint the genes in the nematode that allow it to uh, become resistant on these resistant varieties. With that in hand, then that opens the door then to our ability to type nematode populations in the farmer's field to figure out what they are resistant to. And then if we have uh, a different type of uh, mode of action available, we can deploy it. And that's what really prescriptive management is all about. How far down the road is that as we look at the uh, uh, new ways to fight SCN into the future? Well, um, I can assure you that our soybean breeders are very um, active right now trying to identify uh, new types of genetic resistance, uh, come up with the common ad- combination of, of genes that's required to combat uh, the nematode populations now that are, are widely distributed, especially throughout the north-central parts of the United States. Uh, we know what those combinations of genes are that are going to be effective. And now we need to partner with industry to try to um, advance uh, these genes and get them into the pipeline. Um, my opinion personally is that, you know, it takes a while to get these, uh, you know, cultivars, resistant cultivars out to the growers, five to 10 years. If we don't start now, um, what are we going to have five to 10 years from now? You know, we've spent a lot of time, and it's important, and still need to do it, to get soybean growers aware of a problem like SCN, that invisible robber of their yields and profits out there. Uh, but while we continue to do that, it's one thing to get them aware of it, testing for it, soil testing, things like that, but then they have to have the tools to fight it, right? So we, we need uh, all hands on deck here moving forward. I, I think you're right. Um, you know, and bringing awareness is, you know, at the forefront of the SEN Coalition's mission. And we want farmers to be aware of the fact that understanding and knowing the source of resistance that they're planting matters. And it matters at how effective that resistance is going to be against the population of the nematode in their field. And um, if they don't ask for uh, other types of resistance, um, if they know that they have an aggressive population that is resistant to their current source, um, they need to ask the right questions. And um, they need to ask for um, some other tools. And if they're out there, I assure you that the genetics, um, there's some different genetics that can be deployed to be effective. Um, but we really need to partner with industry to make that happen and make that a reality for our growers. And those new, when we get those new varieties, uh, the, the big question will be asked, will there be a yield drag with them? What, what, what's being done in that area? Yeah, um, you know, that's always a concern. Um, but, you know, these are, are yield uh, tested, and if they're not yielding, they're not going to pass that, that hurdle um, to make it to market. And so, um, you know, our breeders are working very hard uh, to get the right genetics in, uh, make sure there's no associated yield drag with that. Um, and so that is possible. Um, we also have newer technologies um, that are available to researchers that can offset um, potential yield, yield drag um, through things like CRISPR uh, gene editing and moving genes in more specifically to avoid any associated uh, genes that might lead to a yield drag. Um, but we need to start somewhere, and um, we need to start now. Melissa, thanks for the update. We appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate your time. All right. Melissa Mitchum, University of Georgia nematologist, the ongoing battle with soybean cyst nematode. Well, that wraps it up for today. Lots more coming tomorrow. Talk about a battle. Battle lines being drawn between agriculture and the administration. 
taxes, waters of the U.S., the RFS, so much going on right now. We'll get more reaction coming up on tomorrow's program. Keep you up to date right here on AOA. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.